to Credo with me, Father Andrew Eburn, to the podcast journeying through the various articles of the Creed, the fundamental statement of our Catholic faith. Last week we looked at the opening proposition of the Creed, I believe in one God. And this week we move to the next clause, the three words immediately following, again very important words, the Father Almighty. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty. What does it mean to call God our Father? As we do so often, of course, not just in the Creed, but in that prayer that's so familiar to all of us, the Our Father. What does it mean to call God our Father? Well, now, I have a confession to make at this point, a musical confession. I guess you could say I have pretty conservative musical tastes. I love Radio 3. My favourite composer is probably Bach, and I love his sacred music and also the sacred music of earlier ages, such as Gregorian chant. However, I also have a weakness, I have to admit, and I slightly cringe to admit this, I have a weakness for modern guitar, rocky worship songs. It's terrible, but I have to admit it. However, in this case, it's a useful weakness, or at least I hope so, because there's a modern worship song by a group called House Fires called Good Good Father. Actually a very well-known song because a version of it was number one in the United States for several weeks a few years ago. So the song, as I say, is called Good Good Father and you can listen to it yourself if you like on YouTube. There are versions with the lyrics below the video or on the video itself. Anyway, it is the lyrics I'm interested in right now because the chorus of this song is a chorus of two lines with these words. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And then the second line, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. Simple as that. Now, you know, sometimes worship songs and hymns on occasion can express theological truths that intellectuals and scholars might take whole books to explain. And there is theology behind the words of this song. So the first line, you're a good, good father, it's who you are. God is defined, so to speak, by his love for his children. That is who he is. So it's not that fatherly love is a kind of nice attribute of God, You know, it's not as though uh, he's a Greek god who has all these amazing superpowers and abilities, but also, gosh golly, is quite kind on occasion as well. No, God is defined by his love. Deus caritas est, as the Latin says, God is love. And then the second line of that chorus, and I'm loved by you, it's who I am, it's who I am, it's who I am. And so in the same way, I am defined by God's unfailing love for me. This is, if you like, the basis of my life, the foundation of everything else, that I am loved by God. So I am not defined by my social class or my income or the colour of my skin, uh, and I am not defined much, as society today would like to tell me, by my gender or my sexuality, uh, nor even by my personal history and experiences, though surely that History and those experiences will leave their mark upon me. No, I am ultimately defined by the love 
of God the Father for me, his child. This is who I am. Before anything else, I am a child of God, and that is what it is to call God my Father, Patrum Omnipotentum. It's worth pointing out that if you look at how God is depicted in the Bible, we do not begin with God the Father. We begin with God the Creator. The very first line of the Bible says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. But then there is a moment, a dramatic, momentous development actually, when God is first described as a Father. That moment when God the Creator becomes for us God the Father. And you can actually see the exact moment which takes place in the wilderness, the desert, where the people of Israel have been led by Moses after fleeing the tyranny of Pharaoh in Egypt. I say they are led by Moses, but as Moses himself points out, actually they have been guided and protected and indeed carried by God himself. Moses explains to the people, The Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son in all the way that you went until you came to this place. And there, for the first time in the Bible, God is described as a father. And it's a revolution, really, that, that the heralds a new and extraordinary intimacy between God and his people, which we see played out uh, throughout the rest of the Bible. But I highlight that development in the scriptures, not only because it is fascinating in itself, but also because it mirrors a development in our own faith life. Like so much else in our lives, faith grows and matures. And for those who grow in faith, there is a special and important development whereby instead of God being uh, distant and abstract and impersonal, perhaps even a little bit unreal, like a remote scientific principle, for example, but rather, as we grow in faith, we begin to understand God as a father. And as we begin to understand God as a father, we move from a faith that is abstract and impersonal, and perhaps, as I say, even unreal, to a faith that is relational and personal, intimate and real. And it is one of the really important developments in the maturing of our faith. Okay, so moving on to the last word of today's article, the Father Almighty. What does it mean to describe God as Almighty? Well, I'm going to go back again to the Catechism for this one, because there's an excellent short explanation in the Catechism, paragraph 276, which says, The Church believes firmly that nothing will be impossible with God. So God the Almighty can do all things. Nothing will be impossible with God. As so often in the Catechism, this is a quotation from Scripture. In fact, a quotation from Scripture that occurs three times in three different places in the Bible. So let's take a quick look at those. Firstly, in the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, when God promises Abraham a son, a son who will in turn become a father to that holy people of Israel. But of course, Abraham and Sarah, his wife, are both elderly. She's long past childbearing age. And she doesn't believe that promise. And God has to insist to them, nothing is impossible for God. 
the child will be born, and God makes the impossible happen to establish the holy people of Israel. And then the second example is a sort of parallel incident from the New Testament. It's fascinating uh, to note, by the way, how often the prototype of an incident or an event happens in the Old Testament, and then, if you like, the fully-fledged version takes place in the New Testament, in the Gospels, very common phenomenon in sacred scripture. Anyway, in this case, it is another elderly woman who is given a child, and it is Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist. Mary, uh, that is Elizabeth's cousin, the Virgin Mary, is told of this by the angel Gabriel, who says, Behold, your kinswoman Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing is impossible for God. And in this case, God makes the impossible happen to prepare the way for his son by the birth of John the Baptist. And then finally, the third example, which is that beautiful little episode in the Gospels where Jesus encounters the rich young man who doesn't want to let go of his riches. And in the aftermath of that meeting, uh, where Jesus teaches the disciples how hard it is for the rich to get to heaven. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, the disciples are astonished and dismayed uh, by this. Uh, Partly, I suspect, because there is an Old Testament tradition of riches being a sign of blessing from God for the righteous, so not necessarily a bad thing, uh, a tradition which Jesus is now reframing or recasting. But the disciples are also undoubtedly daunted by the high standards that Jesus seems to demand, and also by a sense of their own unworthiness. The Gospel tells us that when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? Now isn't that a question that all of us confront at some point? Who then can be saved? How on earth can I pass the test, as it were? How can I be worthy? But Jesus looks at the disciples and says to them, With men this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. All things are possible for God, which means that even I, even sinful, hapless, hopeless me, can be saved. God makes the impossible happen to save you and I. So you see, it is not just God's power that is almighty. It is his love and his mercy And that's good news for all of us. Thank you so much for joining me this week and do join me again next week for the next episode and the next article of the Creed. And may God bless you all and may he specially bless that journey of discovery we make together into the beauties of the Catholic faith. Amen.